Welcome to the X29 Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Metters. One of Acts 29's theological distinctives affirms the necessity of the Holy Spirit's presence for all of life and ministry. The third person of the Trinity convicts us of sin, unites us with Christ, and produces holiness in us as he fixes our eyes on Jesus. From salvation and through the lifelong process of sanctification, we are utterly dependent on the Spirit's effective and abundant work. Spiritual gifts are essential in our spiritual battle against the world, the flesh, the devil, and crucial to the mission of church planting. Sam Storms joins me on the Acts 29 podcast today to discuss spiritual gifts. Sam has been a pastor for over 47 years and is currently the lead pastor for preaching and vision at Bridgeway Church in Oklahoma City, which is an Acts 29 church. He's taught systematic and historical theology at the Grace Training Center and Wheaton College and serves on the Council of the Gospel Coalition and the Executive Committee of the Evangelical Theological Society. He founded Enjoying God Ministries and is now serving as its president. Sam has written more than 35 books and supposedly Sam also hoped for a career as a professional golfer. Sam, is that true? It is true. Uh, unfortunately, I had a, a twofold problem, a lack of sufficient talent and a horrible temper. <laughs> I guess uh, that goes through a lot of clubs, I'm assuming. That they, yeah. yeah, yeah, it does. Well, Sam, it's such a joy to have you on the XYM podcast, uh, just personally. And, and I know for all the brothers and sisters who are listening, I have benefited so much from your ministry. I've been so refreshed uh, by you and your writing and your preaching. So I, I'm, I'm just loving being able to talk with you today. Well, it's my pleasure. I've been looking forward to this. So Sam, let's dive into, I think, something that I would love to hear more about, and I know a lot of listeners would as well. Uh, how did you come to faith in Christ? What was the background, kind of what, what happened at your conversion moment, what led you there? And then, and then let's talk about how you got into pastoral ministry. Well, I was raised in a Christian family. Uh, we were Southern Baptists, and um, I honestly, you talk about a conversion moment, not real sure I can pinpoint it. Um, I think I just always trusted Christ, but there was probably a decisive moment when I was about nine years old. We were living in Shawnee, Oklahoma, uh, part, part of First Baptist Church there. Uh, and my parents basically were the ones who led me to Jesus. So um, I never had a kind of a crisis experience um, like so many do have, but um, it was just really a part of the very atmosphere in which I was raised by my, by my parents. Um, really felt a call into full-time ministry uh, not long thereafter, actually, I was about 11 years old, believe it or not. And it's one of those encounters that it's hard to explain unless people have in themselves had a similar experience. But I knew from that point on that I was going to be in full-time ministry. Even in my desire to go into uh, be a professional golfer, I thought that I would use that as a platform for ministry. But uh, toward the end of my college career at OU, University of Oklahoma, I felt strongly drawn to uh, attend seminary, so I went to Dallas Theological Seminary, and of course, the rest is history, so they say. Yeah, okay, so Dallas Theological Seminary, what, what was the, uh, the drive uh, to, to go there? Because I know that they are uh, a great school, and I know you and Ray Ortland both, both went there, and mm. they are dispensational, and they are typically cessationist, I'm, I'm, and so that's... Yep. Not and where I am you neither. are today. <laughs> That's not where you are today. Yeah. And so what led you to DTS? 
largely, I was involved in a church while I was in college, and all three pastors were graduates of Dallas Seminary. So they had a huge influence on me. And then I got connected with a man named S. Lewis Johnson, who was professor of New Testament and theology there for like 30 some odd years. And he became my kind of my spiritual father and theological mentor, and he drew me to Dallas. So it was largely through his influence um, that, that I ended up at Dallas. So I, by the way, um, I have nothing but the highest respect for Dallas. Yeah. I'm so grateful for the education I received there. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Uh, Ray and I were there. Ray was a year ahead of me at Dallas, um, but we've known each other, I guess, what makes us, what, for almost 50 years now. Wow which really dates us, but uh, I'm thankful for my education. But yeah, I have moved on theologically from some of the things that are unique and distinctive to Dallas. Yeah. So let's, let's get into some of those, some of those things. So let me know if I miss anything here of what I'm about to read. (laughs) You describe yourself as an amillennial, Calvinistic, charismatic, credo-baptistic, complementarian, Christian hedonist. Did I miss anything? I think you nailed it. <laughs> okay. And I, I love that list uh, because, you know, a lot of those descriptions, they don't tend to go together. No, they don't. Um, and I, especially, you know, Calvinistic charismatic and then amillennial and credo-baptistic uh, charismatic and, and all that mix. But you seem to really uh, work well with others across all these other camps and all these other theological tribes and to love others well across those across these various groups. So really, I just want to think about together, how is Catholicity and gospel partnership, why is that so important to you, and especially among believers with different convictions? Well, one thing is I've learned to focus on the center, the gospel centrality. Uh, I've learned to highlight and magnify the, the foundational elements of the Christian faith rather than to focus on the tangential periphery. So... Um, as long as somebody affirms the foundational truths of the gospel, um, you know, the inspiration, authority of scripture, deity, uh, penal substitutionary death, bodily resurrection, second coming of Jesus, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, um, I am usually fairly happy to be working with them side by side in ministry. And I, I think through my exposure to a variety of different uh, denominational contexts, everything from Southern Baptist to... Um, Presbyterian, to Plymouth Brethren, to Bible Church, to Vineyard, to Anglican, uh, to where we are now in an Acts 29 church in Oklahoma City, I have just seen across the body of Christ uh, the incredible passion and love for the gospel and the Lord Jesus that people have who disagree with me on these issues, whether they are dispensational and cessationist, or they are even egalitarian and um, uh, hold to, to, to other views that I would disagree with. I have just found that if we, if we focus on the center, the foundational truths, gospel centrality, that uh, I have been able to, to work with them and uh, to, to partner with them side by side. I mean, even my, you mentioned Ray. I mean, Ray is a, now is kind of somewhat affiliated with the Anglican church in North America. Uh, I differ with them in terms of ecclesiology. I am a, a credo-baptist. I believe in believer's baptism. Ray is a pedo-baptist. But uh, none of this has had any effect whatsoever on our friendship or our ability yeah. to partner together in every way in gospel ministry. So I, I wish that—and, of course, we're seeing this in the body of Christ, as you know right now, is this splintering, this this um, incredible divisiveness 
over issues that are not foundational to the gospel itself. Right. And um, it's gotten to the point where if you disagree with me on any of these secondary issues, not only do I demonize you, but I basically discard you as being unworthy of fellowship. And maybe you're not even born again at all. That's tragic. It is. It is so tragic. And I, I hope that Acts 29, that we can be that place that continues to prioritize Christ mm-hmm. and, and the, the truths of the gospel and to have, you know, some friendly, loving debates and discussions about all these peripheral, uh, though it's still important issues, but they don't mm-hmm. separate us from, from one another. Yeah. And I'm not saying those issues aren't important. And I'm just not saying they're not worth you holding to your convictions yeah. and strongly preaching, teaching them and following them. But to, um, to, to separate and divide and to demonize others because they differ with you, that's another matter entirely. Yeah, absolutely. And I, one thing I do love about Acts 29, and I, I tell people this all the time, I've, I've been involved with Acts 29 for just about 10 years now, and I really cannot remember the last time I had a conflict with an Acts 29 brother, um, a, a doctrinal disagreement that was like, that had the heat ratcheted up. Um, we've had conversations, we've had discussions, uh, even around philosophy of ministry, but at the end of the day, it's always, man, I know you're about Christ. I know you're about planting churches and we may differ, but man, I love you. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. I, I love that about Acts 29 as well. It's one of the things that drew me in. So, uh, I'm very happy to be a part of the network. Yeah. So what, what made you decide to want to join Acts 29? Um, probably two individuals. Um, Scott Thomas and Ray Ortland. Scott was uh, executive director at that time. This was back in about 2009, 2010. Okay. And um, uh, he invited me to attend what was then our annual pastor's retreat. At that time, it was being held in Vail, Colorado. And he and Ray um, kind of put the full court press on me. Mm. And uh, I uh, prayed about it and really investigated closely and uh, of course, my good close friendship with Matt Chandler uh, helped uh, swing me. But <coughs> excuse me, I think the main reason was it was less those guys. It was more the um, the, the idea that the kingdom of God uh, spreads and expands through church planting. And so um, I was very drawn to that because we were not a church planting church. We still haven't really uh, come up to the standards that I that I embrace in that regard. But we want to. But it was the idea of partnering with others of like mind who had a similar vision. Um, you know, I didn't want to be a part of a denomination that, that governed from the top down. Acts 29 it really allows freedom yeah. in so many respects and diversity at the same time that we're committed to the same foundational theological principles. So all of that was very, very appealing to me. So we've been in the network, I guess, since about 2010. Okay, great. Yeah, that's the next question I was going to ask. So, so you've been around for a while. You've, you've mm-hmm. seen a lot of changes. You've seen a lot of uh, leaders involved in various places throughout the years. And I, I'd love to ask you, what, what do you hope to see? Um, how do you hope to see X29 grow and, and move forward in, in the coming years? Well, since it's the topic that you had kind of initially suggested to me that we talk about, I do have to say that I want to see the network become more... Uh, passionate about and um, consistent and biblically rooted in the practice of spiritual gifts. Um, As you mentioned at the very outset, you read that statement. By the way, um, I was largely responsible for articulating those 
five theological distinctives. Mm. Uh, Chandler kind of commissioned me to do that, and I had the help of a few others. Um, but I really do want to see churches become more biblically literate, uh, more uh, passionately committed to and consistently practicing the gifts of the Spirit for the building up of others. I, in the absence of the power of the Spirit of God, we're not going to accomplish anything. We could plant yeah. churches until we're blue in the face. We could have multiplicity of churches on every corner, but if they're not Spirit-empowered, if they're not driven by uh, the, the, uh, the supernatural realities of what we read about in Scripture, we're not going to accomplish anything of lasting value or for the glory of God. Yeah, that's so good. And, you know, as you were just mentioning, you know, we affirm the necessity of the Spirit's work in life and ministry. Mm-hmm. And some, that means different things to, to different people. Sure. Um, not just in X29, but also around the world. We have cessationists in X29. We have continuationists in X29. Um, is there anything in between? You know, usually there's a joke about, like, um, your view of the millennium. They'll be like, oh, I'm a pan-millennialist. I'm going to wait mm-hmm. till it all pans out. I don't know if there's any jokes like that for where you fall with the work of the Holy Spirit uh, between cessationists or continuationists. Well, let's be clear. My cessationist brothers and sisters believe in the power of the Spirit. I'm not suggesting for a moment that they do not believe in the third person of the Godhead or that they do not rely upon the power of the Spirit. They do. Um, I do think, however, there's 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 a limitation there in certain respects because of their... um, their lack of confidence that the Bible teaches that these are gifts that are intended for the church until the second coming. And therefore, if you don't believe that God gives those gifts, you're not going to study them. You're not going to pursue them. You're not going to make opportunity in your church for their exercise. Uh, You're going to be somewhat skeptical and even cynical at times about Mm. people who do step out in the exercise of these gifts but again, this is not to suggest in any way that our cessationist brothers in the network uh, do not believe in the Spirit and, do, and are not relying as best as they know how on the power of the Spirit. They do. I just think there's so much more that so many of them are, are not experiencing that is available to them. And that's, again, a part of my continuationist charismatic theology and practice. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I want to be very clear about that. I would never suggest that our cessationist brothers are not spirit-empowered. Or, that's why I don't like this idea of calling charismatics spirit-filled. Mm. All Christians, by definition, are spirit-filled. The yeah. Spirit dwells in all of us. Romans 8, if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, then you're none of His. You don't belong to Him. So we need to be very clear about that, because if we're not, we're just going to perpetuate this division between continuationists and cessationists. And I don't, I, I want to bridge that gap. I don't want to, I don't want to broaden it. Yeah. I love that. And I, I love that about you. I, I, I remember doing some study about this a few years ago and I don't know if you said it or I read it somewhere else, but it was every church is a charismatic church mm-hmm. uh, because we have the Holy spirit and we have the right. gifts of the spirit. We have that same Greek word as every believer have these things operating. Sure. But, but before we go even further, uh, maybe you could just quickly um, or however long you want to take to define uh, continuationism, define cessationism, sure. um, and if you and if you want, kind of how you how you arrived to to being a continuationist as well. Yeah, just for the sake of those who are interested, um, I my book I, I've written numerous books, <clears throat> articles, <clears throat> excuse me, chapters in other edited volumes on this, but. I finally put it all together in one volume. It's called Understanding Spiritual Gifts, A Comprehensive Guide. It's a 370-page book. Zondervan published it last September, so it's, what, been out about 10 months now. 
And I really go into great detail in the arguments for cessationism, for continuationism. And I, I discuss every spiritual gift in the New Testament. Uh, so I would highly recommend that people check that out. Um, cessationism basically, it's, by the way, it's not secessionism. It's not what happened in the middle of the 19th century when the <laughs> southern states seceded from the Union. It's cessationism, which is the belief that um, sometime toward the end of the first century or in the early uh, years of the life of the church, God ceased to bestow uh, more superna- overtly supernatural gifts like tongues, prophecy, healing, miracles, word of knowledge, and uh, similar gifts. Uh, he continues to give gifts, uh, cessationists believe, but those particular gifts, they believe, uh, were designed only to launch or inaugurate the life of the church and that they were then gradually withdrawn. Um, My conviction is that the New Testament nowhere teaches that, um, and that, in fact, it explicitly teaches that these gifts are designed for the building up of the body of Christ until the second coming itself. So I do believe that all those gifts are still operative. They're still available to us. And I believe very strongly 1 Corinthians 14.1 and also, 1 Corinthians 14, 39, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, yeah. especially that you may prophesy. So I don't think that's an option. I, I think that's a command. It's an imperative. You know, we don't, we don't treat other commands in Scripture as if we can take them or leave them. We don't say, well, flee fornication. Well, I don't know if I'm going to do that. I'm not into <laughs> that sort of thing. Or, or um, you know, pray um, at all times. Eh, I don't know about it. No, this is a command. Times, yeah. yeah, yeah. We have we have to treat this command with the same urgency that we treat all other biblical commands, and I, I, that's what my book is designed to do: is to call Christians and leaders to, uh, to the pursuit of the gifts and the practice of them in a way that is honoring to Christ, consistent with the Word of God, and builds up His people. So uh, that's so good. So go check out that book. There'll be a link in the show notes or here in the description of the video, and you can go find find a link to Sam's books and on all, especially that book as well. But all of Sam's books there on Amazon. You can go grab those. Well, so how did you go from were you a were you a cessationist at DTS? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I was a hardcore, rather cynical cessationist who was highly critical of anything remotely charismatic. Um, and it was really in about 1987, 1988, I read Don Carson's book, Showing the Spirit, uh, where he went through 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Um, I uh, renewed a long-term relationship with Jack Deere, who was also at Dallas Seminary when I was there. Um, and Jack and I uh, reconnected, and he put a lot of material in my hands. And basically what I did was, it wasn't because I had experienced anything of a supernatural nature at that time. Um, I just began reading the scriptures and I began to reevaluate arguments that I had heard from my uh, professors at Dallas and from other people that I respected. And I began to ask the question, is what they're telling me really in the Bible? And I began to test it by what scripture actually says. And I just came to the conclusion, I, I just don't see cessationism taught in scripture. Um, and I, in my own experience, I, I said, all right, Sam, why then are you a cessationist? And aside from the influence of my professors and my spiritual mentors, I think it was largely because of fear. I Mm. saw the extremes, the fanaticism, and we're all familiar with those. We've all witnessed them. We've all been offended by them. And I was highly offended. And I found myself um, saying, well, wait a minute, Lord, if that's what it means 
to be charismatic and to practice the gifts. I don't want any part of it. It was this right. fear of being uh, of guilt by association. And well, if, if I open myself up to the presence of the spirit, am I going to do goofy things on a platform? Am I going to manipulate people in prayer ministry? And I said, and I realized that I had allowed the abuses that others had um, committed to dictate my use of what God, I think, has actually given to us by means of the Spirit and His gifts. And mm. so I had to commit myself to say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obey Scripture regardless of how badly some people abuse gifts and manipulate people. Um, so I, that was really the final hurdle in getting me uh, in, to embrace this fully and to begin to pursuing the gifts. And subsequent to that, as I began to pray and as I began to make space in our in my life and in our church's life for the exercise of these gifts, we began to see God move in powerful ways. And that was all around the 88, 89. Um, and yeah, from that point on, I was a full-blown, wholly committed um, continuationist, both not yeah. only theologically, but in practice. And there's a difference. Yeah. There are a lot of brothers in Acts 29 who are probably listening to this who say, yeah, I agree with you theologically, Sam. I'm a continuationist theoretically, but in practice, uh, you wouldn't know the difference. And I want to see us move into the practice of the gifts, not just their affirmation. Yeah, yeah that's, I think that's a space that we need to consider. And, and I want us to get there too. Um, I, I, you know, I can think about my own life. And I remember, I remember probably being 27 years old, uh, freshly in X29 for a couple of years. And I remember, I think I was brushing my teeth actually. And thinking about a very popular dispensationalist preacher, and he was talking about how how you know, we see the gifts begin to taper off. We see uh, continuationism. We see these things, you know, stopping really uh, towards the end of the New Testament. They're almost gone. And I remember thinking, huh? Well, why does the last book of the Bible? It is a massive apocalyptic vision. It, it is not the tapering off. It's a firework. It's a pyrotechnic display. Yeah. By uh, the way, if I can interrupt you real quickly. Yeah. That was one of the arguments that weighed heavily on me because I majored in historical theology at Dallas and taught it for many, many years. But I have a, an a extensive chapter in this book, Understanding Spiritual Gifts, and I look at the original sources and I cite them. And this, this idea that people have, have been promulgating that the gifts began to die out is simply false. Yeah. It's just absolutely false. And I quote the apostolic fathers, the apologists, uh, the patristic period, um, all the way up until about the 6th century when the Roman Catholicism began to squelch uh, the ministry of anybody other than parish priests. And the gifts were very much present and active. Uh, now, again, once, you know, people hear about Montanism and they think, well, Montanism was an extreme expression of charismatic life. And that's what led to people suppressing the gifts. And that's largely true. But the gifts never died out in the first five to six hundred years of the church's life. And that's right. I, and I document this very clearly in my book. Yeah. If readers want to read one short or if listeners, you want to you know, find one short study on this so we can just see this in the early church, The Life of St. Macrina by Gregory of Nyssa. Uh, you'll read about some of the miracles and healings and things that were documented that, that she performed. It's, it's pretty incredible. Okay. Well, Sam, before we get into the practice of these things, that might be helpful to frame it. How would you define spiritual gifts and why they're yeah. crucial for the work of, of what we're about of planting churches and being healthy churches? Sure. Well, I think Paul defines spiritual gifts. I think he gives us a very explicit definition in first Corinthians twelve seven. 
He says, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each for the common good. A spiritual gift is the Spirit of God Himself coming to what I call visible, vocal, public expression for the building up of the body. So spiritual gifts aren't like something you uh, receive on Christmas morning. You know, it's a thing that you can unwrap and make use of. Spiritual gifts are the Holy Spirit working in and through us to equip us and enable us to exceed the limitations of our humanity so that we might minister in the power of God for the building up of the body and the glorification of Jesus. So spiritual gifts um, are the manifesting, the coming to visible vocal display in and through us of the Spirit of God Himself. So that's how I, and I think that's true of every spiritual gift, whether it's mercy or healing or teaching or prophecy, regardless of whether one is maybe more overtly supernatural than another, some seem to be rather mundane, like the gift of serving, that's still the Spirit of God manifesting Himself yes. in and through the life uh, of a believer. So that's how I would define them. I just go to 1 Corinthians twelve seven. I love that. And, and when I think about the gifts, you know, we talk about how, you know, teaching, um, that there are things you can do to, you know, try to become a better teacher and ways that you can practice teaching that, that will serve others and help others more. I'm guessing the same things you would say apply to the other more, I guess, supernatural gifts that the way I, I'm not even a huge fan of all those terms, but the way that people describe those gifts, is that true? Yes. Uh, the spirit of God is required as much for an expression of mercy as it is for an expression of physical healing. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't like to call certain gifts miraculous or supernatural because all of them, yeah. every one of them is an expression of the work of the Holy spirit of God. So they're all supernatural in nature. Uh, They're all, in a sense, miraculous because we otherwise would be utterly impotent to perform them. Now, granted, there are certain gifts that are, in fact, there is a spiritual gift of miracles. Paul mentions it in 1 Corinthians 12. Um, So, yeah, I think all gifts, that's why you said at the beginning, we're all charismatic. We all have charisma. We all have uh, the manifestations of the Spirit, some that, that we don't necessarily take note of, that they happen somewhat behind the scenes, as it were. Uh, whereas others are more overtly miraculous in nature, more overtly supernatural. And unfortunately, those are the ones that draw the most attention. That's why they had a problem in Corinth in the first century, is that the Corinthians were saying, oh, uh, because we possess these gifts that are more overtly supernatural, that must mean that we're more overtly spiritual. We're more... uh, pleasing to God. We ought to carry more authority in the church. We ought to receive more honor in the church. And Paul very clearly says, no, (laughs) that's your mistake. Stop being immature in your thinking and realize that spiritual gifts are not a measure of spirituality. Um, In fact, the Corinthians were awash in supernatural gifts, and yet they were profoundly carnal and immature. Well, Sam... That, that brings me to like the, the next thing that, you know, obviously, as, as you were saying earlier, we want to be not just people that affirm them theologically. Mm-hmm. I can say, yeah, absolutely. I, I am a continuationist, but man, my daily life, the life of my church, you wouldn't be able to tell a difference. Mm-hmm. So how have you observed the, the gifts of the spirit and, and pursuing these things really enlivening and equipping your life and the life of your church? Sure. Well, this question that you just asked, I was being asked dozens and dozens of times over the years, and I finally thought, 
I got to write a book <laughs> so I don't have to answer all these emails. So I wrote the book, Practicing the Power. Uh, Practicing the Power came out in 2017, and it was basically designed for pastors and church leaders who would say to me, hey, theologically, I'm on the same page with you. Practically, I'm scared to death. Mm. I'm afraid I'm going to blow up my church. I'm going to, how can I do this in a, in a biblically reasonable way that's not going to drive people away or, or make us look like fools and bring reproach in the name of Christ? And um, really, I think the way that this begins, I know this sounds rather simple and mundane, it really begins with prayer ministry. That's how it was in my life and in the life of the church when I, where I was pastoring when I first came to believe this. Um, it's in the midst of prayer that these gifts most oftentimes will manifest themselves. So I began to train people in prayer ministry uh, because a lot of people, you say, hey, would you go pray for that person? They say, I don't know how to do that. What am I supposed to say? And so just learning how to minister to people by means of prayer, crying out to God for the manifestation of the Spirit, that's the initial step that has to be taken. Um, there also has to be decisive leadership on the part of local church pastors. You have to be willing to stand up and preach verse by verse through 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and Romans chapter 12 and 1 Thessalonians 5 and other texts that deal with this. Uh, when I first came into the, to the experience of the gifts, I preached, I think, around a 20-week series on spiritual warfare, 12 weeks on, on worship. I wow. preached through the book of Acts. Um, so these are things that have to be done by leadership. You have to, you, it, it, this issue will not be important to your people unless it's important to you. Um, and that's just the nature of, of local church leadership. You have to display it. You have to value it. You have to make it a, a, make it a, a place that's safe for people to take risks. And typically this will not happen on a Sunday morning. It happens in small group gatherings where people know each other and they trust each other. So that is, it really is kind of my simple uh, formula for moving forward in this regard. And then I think also, as I mentioned in the book, uh, Practicing the Power, you have to ask yourself a question and quite honestly before the Lord, am I willing to pay the price that it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost me to move forward in this regard? Because it is costly. You will offend people. You may lose people from your church. But is your commitment to biblical integrity and obedience to the Word of God of higher value than anything else. And if it's not, then forget it. Nothing's going to happen. If yeah. it is, I think God will honor your commitment to his word. And no matter what price you have to pay in the pursuit of these things, it will be more than worth it in the long run. Yeah, that's so good. And just an, an encouragement for us to begin to really earnestly desire uh, the practice of, of these gifts and I, I wonder if you could share any stories, not, not that we don't want to be sensationalistic. I know that's sure. not your heart and that, that's not X-29's heart, but, th but that would be encouraging for us to go, hey, there are things that we've seen God do that these are available to every believer, sure. uh, available to, to every church. Sure. Yeah, I'll give, you, I'll give you one from two weeks ago in our church. Um, we have a number of people who at the end of, uh, of, of our time of worship that will come up on the platform and they, they're people that I know and I trust. So I don't have, I, we don't have an open microphone, um, except for people who are mature, who have shown a, a consistent track record in this, but there's a lady in our church and she came and I have great confidence in her and she's growing in her prophetic gift. And she stood up, she said, all right, the Lord deeply impressed on my heart, um, that there's a lady here today 
who has been alienated and estranged from a family member. And the number 79 is extremely important. And the name Catherine um, uh, is relevant. And so wow. n- nobody responded. Of course, everybody gets real nervous. Oh, she missed it. She missed it. <laughs> well, sure enough, after the service, the lady came forward. She said, that's me. She said, my sister's name is Catherine. She was born in 1979. We have been alienated from each other. I so deeply desire to be reconciled with her. Will you pray for me? Uh, So that's just one example. Um, We have had numerous instances of this sort of real specificity in words that are being given. Uh, Sometimes, um, I mean, we've had a, we have a lady in our church who um, the, the way the Lord ministers through her is that And again, I know people are going to immediately say, Sam, where's that in the Bible when I say this? But she experiences what we call sympathetic pains in her body. And what we mean by that is if there's some, she will feel in her body completely unrelated to anything she's experienced before, a a pain, an ache, or an awareness of something that is, uh, with which she might be afflicted that corresponds to what somebody's actually experiencing in their life. So she will come up and say, I have had this incredible, sharp, biting pain in my left knee that feels like uh, rheumatoid arthritis. And I sense that there are some of you here this morning who are suffering from this. And if you are, come and we will pray for you. Wow. Now, again, you say, where's that in the Bible? Well, it, nowhere in the Bible are we told how God communicates words of knowledge. You know, we're told that... that by revelation, people are given uh, a prophetic word. Well, how does that come? The Bible doesn't say. Is it an impression? Is it a picture? Is it a, a vision of some sort? So I think we have to be open to a variety of ways in which God might communicate that. As long as it's not inconsistent with what is in Scripture, I want to be open to the possibility that God is communicating in this way. And we will have people respond to that. We pray for them. We've seen some wonderful healings uh, in, in that regard. So this happens um, This happens in a number. Of, I mean, I, I tell the story I'll, real quick. I know we're getting out of time here. but No, you're good. Go for it. I'll tell, I tell the story in Practicing the Power. One of our elders, uh, who was one of the founding elders of the church, very godly, mature man in his 70s, um, came up to me um, at the first service, we have two services. He said, Sam, I had a really strong impression about a lady here today. May I share it? I said, sure. So he said, um, there's a lady here today. You had a very difficult time making it to church. You were in incredible pain. Um, you went to the doctor 10 days ago. You got a, a diagnosis uh, that was very uh, distressing. Uh, the letters SJ mean something to you. Uh, and you have a son, a young son, probably five or six years old, who's suffering from asthma. And I think if you will come with your son, I, I want to pray for you. Um, and I think the Lord may heal you. He didn't promise healing. Wow. Well, sure enough, the lady came up. The interesting thing was she hadn't been in church in six months. And when she had come, and because of this debilitating affliction that she had, and when she did come, she always came to the second service because she could never get up the strength to come to the first. She woke up that morning. She told her husband, we've got to go to the first service. He said, we've never done that before. She said, I know, I've got to be there for the first service. Wow. If she hadn't been there, she wouldn't have heard the word. She has a son, five years old, who suffered from asthma. Exactly 10 days ago, she'd been at the doctor. She'd gotten this diagnosis that was very distressing. 
And she said, I couldn't connect with the letters SJ. And she said, I reached into my purse. I pulled out the prescription bottle he'd given me and his initials are SJ. She came up, we prayed for her and her son. They were both healed. Um, That doesn't happen every week. Doesn't happen all the time. But if you don't allow the risk to be taken and the willingness uh, to maybe um, be embarrassed, (laughs) you're never going to experience the power of God. Again, we don't value error. We don't elevate mistakes. We do value courage. We do value people stepping out in faith and doing their best to follow the prompting of the Spirit of God. So that when you allow that to happen, that's the sort of thing that can occur, and it's a glorious blessing. People are encouraged. Their faith is is elevated, and Jesus, I believe, is exalted. That's so encouraging and so edifying to hear them. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for sharing just how God's worked in your church and how God is working in your church. Uh, I, I know I could share stories of my own life where I've had people come up and say, I have a prophecy for you that from, from the Lord and they've come true, um, stories of spiritual warfare. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, let me also say, let me just say one other thing too, if I may interrupt you, Jeff, um, some people say, well, yeah, if you do that sort of thing, it's probably because you devalue the word of God. (laughs) I'm preaching through Romans right now. Yes. And, uh, we just finished chapter seven and it took us 30 sermons to get there. We go phrase by phrase, word by word. We don't, we don't avoid the hard theological topics, expositional messages. At the same time, we are then open to the working of the Spirit through these gifts. So word and spirit were never designed by God to be divorced or to be separated, one elevated above the other. You really can operate in both, and that's what we are committed to, the convergence of word and spirit. And it freaks people out who are new to Bridgeway. Uh, They come in, and they love the preaching, and then they have no idea what to do with our exuberant worship and our (laughs) ministry and gifts. Other people come, and they love the gifts of the Spirit, and they don't understand how we can then preach the Word of God line upon line for 40 to 45 minutes. And we tell them, this is what God's Word calls us to do, both Word and Spirit, and we're committed to that. Yeah. Amen. Uh, there's Sam. Uh, there's just so much I would love to continue talking about, but I, I know we're getting close for time. Stuff about spiritual warfare. Um, I know you talk about the demonization, and so maybe we could do another episode or another event or something on that. But listeners, you for sure could go and find Sam's books, and you can hear him address all, all of these all these issues there. I know you've got more burning questions, um, and so I'm sure Sam will answer them there in, in your book. Well, Sam, I, yeah. I definitely. By the by the ahead. way, Jeff, I have written a sequel to the Understanding Spiritual Gifts. I wrote it during COVID. It's called Understanding Spiritual Warfare. Another three hundred and seventy page book. Uh, they're kind of uh, twins, and both of them are now available. Okay, great. Um, I'm guessing they're on Amazon, or should they go to yes. Enjoying God Ministries? Okay. Yes, no, get them at Amazon or in Christian bookstores. Yes. Okay, wonderful. Well, the ministry you started in two thousand four that I just mentioned, Enjoying God Ministries. Uh, why did you Why did you begin it? And what, what do you hope God will, will do with it for the church today? Yeah, I launched that when I left Wheaton College. I left Wheaton, I taught there from 2000 to 2004, and um, launched this ministry as a way of providing resources and guidance and uh, to churches and to individual Christians and to leaders. And so uh, my website, which is either enjoyinggodministries.org, uh, or the easiest thing is samstorms.org, samstorms.org. 
several thousand articles, books, podcasts, sermons, um, just to resource the body of Christ. Um, so when I was doing Enjoying God Ministries full time, I was traveling about 75% of the time. But now, of course, being a local church pastor, I can't travel nearly as much. But I try to put, um, I blog regularly. I try to put as everything that I've written as much as I can free of charge on the website. And people often write me and they say, can I copy this? Can I use this? And my, I say, look, my copyright rule is you have the right to copy. Take and use it free of charge, <laughs> anything you want to use. Um, make use of it in whatever way the Lord would lead you. So that's that's where Enjoying God Ministries is now. And um, people probably don't know this, but in about 14 months, I'm going to be stepping down from my senior leadership role at Bridgeway um, and um, uh, going full-time with Enjoying God Ministries. So I'll even be pro- providing more resources uh, starting really sometime in the summer of 2022. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, that'll be give us uh, great stuff, to great things to pray for you as you make the transition and, and, and spend more time with Enjoying God Ministries. So that, that's great to hear. So thanks for sharing. You bet. Well, Sam, final three questions I, I like to ask everybody that comes on the X-Men podcast. First, a great book you've read recently that you'd want to recommend. Uh, John Piper's book, Providence. It's over 700 pages. You're not going to read it uh, uh, overnight. <laughs> Absolutely spectacular uh, treatment of the providence of God in all areas of life. Um, I, I throw in one other book. It's not a theological book, but there's a new biography of Thomas Sowell who's an African-American economist, conservative author, incredible book. It's called Maverick, really encouraging. So, but I would, I would really recommend that everybody read Piper's book, Providence. It is really, really worth the time and effort you would put into it. What's your go-to order in a coffee shop? Just a plain cup of coffee. I don't do, I don't do fancy stuff. Just a, just plain Joe and a little sweetener to make it make it good. But uh, yeah, that's, I'm pretty bland and boring when it comes to coffee. (laughs) I'm not one of these coffee connoisseurs, I have to admit. Yeah, I did. Right before we hopped on, I made my V60 pour over with some Kenyan beans and a limited edition stuff. It was, it's delicious. Yeah, I have no idea what any of that means. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Next time you're in Houston or something, maybe if I'm available, I'll, I'll make you an amazing cup of coffee that it'll change your life. Sure. I'm, I'm open to it. Okay. What's, what's your favorite verse? in the scriptures and, and why? Probably Psalm 1611. Thou hast made known to me the pathway to life and your presence is fullness of joy at your, at your right hand are pleasures evermore. Um, it's largely why I'm a Christian hedonist. Uh, God is most glorified in us, as Piper says, when we are most satisfied in him. Fullness of joy, pleasures that never end. That's what the world is clamoring after and they're looking mm. in all the wrong places. And they're settling for, as C.S. Lewis said, for mud pies when God offers us this gourmet feast. And so pursuing God, enjoying his presence, experiencing his love, um, his singing over us, as Zephaniah 317 says, that's my second favorite verse. Yeah. But Psalm 1611 is the, is the text that really energizes me day in, day out. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Sam, thank you so much for coming on the x podcast. I know this is going to just be a blessing to so many others, and I, I hope people go and, and get your books and really begin to pursue the practice of these things in our churches. Well, it's good being with you anytime. I'm glad to come back and do it again. Well, listeners, thank you 
for checking out the Acts 29 podcast today. And, and I hope this is more than just information for you. I really hope it is an encouragement to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts and seek how to practice them in your local church for building up the body of Christ. And remember, brothers and sisters, let's keep planting churches to the ends of the earth.